Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. And welcome to Common Sense. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Carson. You know, have you noticed that uh, our criminal justice system seems to be broken? Violent crimes going up, people's lives being destroyed. There was a time not too long ago when, you know, you would make your plans. You would say, I'm going to go downtown and have some fun. I'm going to go to a movie. Now, you got to sort of think twice. Uh, is it really safe, particularly in some of our cities? And today we're going to talk a little bit about the, the criminal justice system, uh, what reform means there, how do we break these vicious cycles. And, you know, I think about a lot of the people who are carrying out these crimes. So many of our, our young boys grow up without a father in the home without an authority figure. The first authority figure they run into is police or someone in their neighborhood who's better than they are. In either case, sometimes it doesn't work out well. So many end up in the penal system. And then they, they go in there with little in the way of education, little in the way of skills. They come out with little in the way of education or skills. So what do they do? The same thing that they were doing before that got them in there except now they're more hardened. Uh, it's a real problem. And we really need to start thinking about how we can solve some of those problems. And I want to welcome our guest today. Uh, many of you know him, Gianna Caldwell. You see him on Fox News uh, as a contributor frequently. But he's also an author, political analyst, a speaker, and as we know and sympathize greatly with him recently, his younger brother, Christian, was killed in a tragic shooting in Chicago. And that is the fate of so many young men these days. Jano, I'm so sorry to hear about your brother. I, you know, I had cousins in the inner city who were killed, but not my brother. I can't even imagine the grief that you've had to deal with. And, you know, his only crime was being in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
And we should be able to be anywhere we want in a free society without worrying about having our lives snuffed out. But uh, you've made a commitment to use this tragedy as a platform to, to shine light upon the brokenness of the system and what is going on. And that's very much appreciated. But could you just tell us a little bit about Christian? Well, first and foremost, thank you, Dr. Carson, for having me. I want to just right off the top, because I know people said my brother was shot. He was killed, obviously, but he was murdered. That's the legal definition that I want to use. He was murdered by low lives in the city of Chicago on June 24th, 2022, uh, just standing outside of a venue. Apparently, the, he was standing next to some next to someone who was targeted and whomever these individuals were, three, four, three to four African-American men with dreads got out of a black SUV on that day on 114th South Vincent Street on the south side of Chicago. And they just began to shoot it all directions, hitting um, not just my brother uh, who was murdered on the spot. They hit their, their target. He survived, went into critical condition and had to have several surgeries, including weeks after and then they hit a young lady as well. And when I think about Christian, his life, and him just turning 18 years old this year, mm-hmm. he was a teenager. And he never got a chance to go off to college. He'll never get a chance to get married, have children of his own. He'll never get a chance to pass down the lessons in which I've learned and taught him to his own family. It's beyond devastating. Our hearts, my family, been shattered into a thousand pieces and it's beyond repair at this point. So in this moment, knowing that he was a light when every room that he walked into and he was extinguished, that light was extinguished on June 24th. Now this is the time to ensure that there aren't other Christians out there in Chicago or even across the country. So I have personally been doing the work, working with legislators, Um, to try to change the laws in Chicago, draft new policy that isn't soft on crime. In addition to that, still fighting for justice for Christian because the people who murdered him are still out there. They haven't been captured or arrested. So I want to thank you for your platform to to talk about my baby brother today. Yeah, they had no idea who your brother was. They just randomly shooting. Yeah, they they were after a person that he just happened to be standing next to. They weren't after him. And the police told me that. And I've, I've asked, I said, was he the target? No, he wasn't the target. This other guy was. He was innocent. He didn't have anything to do with whatever was going on there. The story I'm told about the individual in question who was the target, he apparently owed some individuals some money, left Chicago for about nine months. And then he came back to Chicago and he was only there for four days before these individuals saw him and was looking to murder him. Wow. That's a, that's a rough environment. Now, you have, you have another brother, too, don't you? Yes, I have. Um, there, there was, there's nine of us, uh, eight of us now mm-hmm. living. But, yeah, the two sisters rest are, uh, are boys. And have any of them uh, been shot or involved in violence? 
Yeah, so one of my younger brothers, and I've told this story before, Memorial Day weekend back in, I believe, 2017, or it was either 2017, 2018, but I believe it was 2017. He was in a car with a couple of his friends when uh, two men walked up and shot the car tw- 25 times. He lived, his best friend died in his arms. So oh my. this is, he, he never, he wasn't shot. His best friend died in his arms and is uh, obviously and completely horrific. Um, but we've never in my family's history ever faced something of this significance. Yeah, ever. I bet. Well, you know, violent crime is up in Chicago, but the arrests are down. Yeah. And uh, and some people are touting that as progress. <laughs> what, yeah. what do you think about that? Well, I, I think most people would agree in the city of Chicago that Mayor Lori Lightfoot has failed um, her citizens, as well as Kim Fox, the Cook County prosecutor, has failed the citizens of Chicago. If you look at the reporting that was done recently, out of all the crime that was committed last year in the city of Chicago, and there was an increase from 2012, of course, we know George Floyd era and crime went up. Um, out of all the crime committed in Chicago, only 12% of that crime led to an arrest. Wow. All the crime committed, only 12%. And we're talking about thousands upon thousands of instances of whether there be shootings, uh, murders, uh, homicides, uh, thefts, whatever. This is unacceptable. It's absolutely unacceptable. And Kim Fox is just as much to blame as the mayor, even the police superintendent. Um, and the mayor actually have went after Kim Fox because they have sent cases over to the county prosecutor's office to be prosecuted and they've not done their jobs. They've not picked up a number of these cases. In addition to that fact, a report came out showing that um, Kim Fox, the county prosecutor, has dropped 25,000 cases, felony cases, including rape and murder. 25,000? 25,000 felony cases, including rape and murder. Well, no wonder the the, the assistant Cook County uh, State's Attorney Jim Murphy, he he wrote a scathing resignation letter saying that her office cares more about political narratives than crime victims. And they have a new Safe T Act, which uh, measures, requires the prosecutors to present a much higher burden of proof to hold criminals until trial. And again, creating a very dangerous environment for law-abiding citizens. And, uh, you know, it's it's almost hopeless. And I think that's why so many people are fleeing from some of these areas now. But instead of fleeing from them, you know, we've got to find a way to, to get them back under control. It's like the Wild West. It is. It is, and that safety act you're referring to was recently passed. There's a number of, of policies and laws that have been recently put in place, uh, which I call safe, soft on crime policies. I'm reminded of what the mayor of Chicago recently have have done with the the city police department, Chicago's police department. They have what they call now a no chase policy. If someone commits a crime and they use their car to try to get away. Police cannot pursue them. They have to call their supervisors to get permission to pursue them. Meanwhile, the criminals have gotten away. In addition to that policy for the cars, they now have a no a, a, a no chase policy for police officers who are on foot. 
So in other words, someone goes and murders someone, the police officer sees it or they commit some other crime. I'll use that as a reference, another crime, some other atrocity. The police officers aren't allowed. They are not allowed to chase after those suspects only in very specific and certain instances. But the majority of instances, they're not allowed to chase those criminals. And I got to tell you, Dr. Carson, the criminals in the city of Chicago and across the country, they know both. laws better than many of us. Yeah. They know what they can do. They know that if if you get a, a felony or be arrested, if you steal uh, over a thousand dollars worth of merchandise, what do you think they do? They go into the Walgreens, CVS, they go into the Best Buys and they steal uh, $900 worth of stuff. <laughs> they know. So it's become a joke. The criminal justice system has become a joke where you have DAs, whether it be Kim Fox in the city of Chicago, whether it be in Los Angeles uh, County with Gascon or in San Francisco or anywhere in the country that pursued these defund the police policies and these soft on crime policies after George Floyd. And, and before those folks, those those cities have now become unlivable. Forbes just put out an article showing that. In Illinois, Illinois is the number one place where people are moving out of. Number wow. one. And you wonder why that is. Uh, you talk to Ken Griffin, the billionaire from Illinois, who's moving his business, Citadel, from Chicago to Miami. And he said, look, we're moving because of the crime problem in Chicago. has become too much. And I want my employees to be safe and I want them to feel safe. And they can't do it in Chicago. This, this, this has created... Tragedy upon tragedy for me, for many of the residents in cities across the country to the thousands. But it's and so obvious that feel safe. it's so obvious that it's going on, that these places are becoming dangerous, that these policies are not working. Why do you think we continue to have these district attorneys and states attorneys who are doing this? Well, we got to we got to really pull back the the onion there, Dr. Carlson, and look at who's funding their campaigns. Mm -hmm. George Soros has been a bedrock funder of many of the soft on crime policies. And he's handpicked, cherry picked people that he wanted to run his mission for him. And now people are suffering. And recently it was reported. What a Wall Street Journal article, I think it was um, that was. the billionaire had written that his his policies or the, these uh, soft on crime policies weren't wreaking havoc. And it's like, wow, do you live in any of these cities? Well, that's how, how many bodyguards do you have? <laughs> you know, I guess you could say we, we're going to like the celebrities in Hollywood. Yeah. Defund the police, defund the police. But, yeah, you got 12 bodyguards. Of course, defund the police. You don't need them. You got protection. But what about the rest of us? Yeah. Well, it should be obvious to them whether they want to admit it or not. And. It makes you wonder, do they have some other motive for creating chaos and fear in our society? Is this just a part of the puzzle for what they're trying to do? I do wonder about that very frequently. But on a more positive note, how do we help these young criminals maybe take another pathway? You know, it's so easy to see how they go down this pathway. What can we do to help steer them in a different direction? I I think that's an excellent question. And I think that's one in which has been the genesis of many conversations over the decades. Chicago didn't just become a violent city overnight. It has been, but it's become much more worse. New York was, after Rudy Giuliani cleaned it up, 
and then it began to really go down. Um, so you, you ask the questions because people usually say, hey, if we only had jobs and opportunities in our communities, things would change quickly. Just give somebody a job and the guns would just fall to the wayside. Well, there's more job openings than there ever has been seemingly in our history. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of opportunity for people and it seemed like it hasn't made much of a difference. The truth in my view is, I think that people can be rehabilitated uh, from a life of crime. I think a lot of that is gonna happen in prison. I think that there has to be stronger policies um, to have people think twice about the crimes that they're gonna commit. And I think mentorship is extremely important for young people, having a direct connection to someone who may have committed crimes in their life and now they've turned their lives around to demonstrate um, that it is possible and there is another path. Sure, you can you offer someone a job and that may help for some people, not all. But we got to keep in mind, Dr. Ben Carson, some of these folks cannot be rehabilitated. Some of these people need to have the book thrown right at them because at the end of the day, no matter how many, if you look at this study, I think it was the New York Post that reported on it recently, maybe it was uh, in August, July, one or the other, where 90% of the crimes or 80%, some very significant number was committed by like, <laughs> like, like, do you think those people can be rehabilitated, Dr. Carson? I don't. <laughs> like, that's going to take an act of God. So people like that, you got to throw the book at. You know, you can, you can separate the very, the rotten to the core apples from those who may just need a, a piece of the apple cut out. You know, you can cut out a little bit of the rot and still eat the apple, but there's some that are rotten to the core. They need to be in jail and they need to stay there because yeah, no. if they don't, they're influencing and growing a new generation of criminals who will not ever abide by the law. Soft on crime policies is a cancer and it's not just that the, the policies in and of itself. It's, cre it's created a mentality, a monster of a mentality for young people who believe that they won't be arrested or prosecuted. Therefore, I can do what I want. And who and who benefits from, you know, this soft on crime policy situation? When I think about it, if you want it to fundamentally change our society and you didn't like the way our Constitution had organized things, you would first have to get people to agree that the system isn't working. Mm-hmm. One of the ways you can get them to agree that it's not working is just to create so much fear and chaos. They said, this can't possibly be the right system. Yeah. And I, I do fear that that may be some of what's going on in our society. But we will be back in one minute. Stay with us. We'll be back with Gianna Caldwell. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs. A gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. 
Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back with Gianna Caldwell. Gianna, can you talk a little bit about taking for granted how conservatism can win back the Americans that liberalism failed? Your great new book. Absolutely. I, I wrote this book, Taking for Granted. It was really about the life in which I grew up in, which was a life of poverty, um, despair, and it was awfully tragic. That's why my brother's murder is even more tragic because of what we experienced when we were growing up. My mom addicted to crack cocaine, lights, gas and water off all at the same time on occasion. Um, no food in the house. We lived in the projects at one point in time until my grandmother rescued us out of the projects and we moved in with her. And my mom agreed to give over temporary custody of me and my siblings to her mother. And she went into rehab. So it was that was great. My grandmother was a nurse. So things were so much better and we were so thankful. Until one day my grandmother pulls out of the garage going to work and a drunk driver hits her, injures her back permanently. She could no longer work. So her rescuing us out of poverty, out of the projects, mm. we just fell deeper in because there was no income. We're fully on government assistance. And the only way out for me and what became the catalyst for my life's journey was politics. I was riding um, in the car with my grandfather on my father's side. My mom and dad were never married, but I was blessed to have a dad who picked me up every weekend and he would take me to his parents' house. And on Saturdays, my grandfather, small business owner, plumbing construction company, he would take me to work with him and pay me $10 a day to hold the flashlight hand tools. And that all started when I was about eight years old. Mm. So one day, fast forwarding to me being 14 years old, I'm in the truck with my grandfather riding through this area of Chicago called Inglewood, which is still now to this day, the hardest hit area in terms of the drugs and violence in Chicago. And as we're riding, I see a lady who's beat down and drugged up and I just knew that it was my mother. So I began to tear up lightly and turn my face towards the window so my grandfather didn't see me. So as we're riding, my grandfather in his very Southern voice says, what's wrong with you, boy? And as we're riding by, I noticed it wasn't my mother, but it certainly could have been her. Mm. And I said to him, what can I do to prevent this kind of thing from happening? And he begins to explain to me that the elected officials had the power to increase the penalty of law for those who sell and distribute drugs and how they could provide grant funding for those who want to be rehabilitated. So I said at that point, I wanted to be an elected official. Soon after, I started volunteering for my local alderman every day after school like it was my job. That led to an internship. And then at 16, led to an internship, me working for the federal government part time. From there, I became a lobbyist, uh, many other roles from there. 
and it led me to television and a number of other things. But it was really and truly the catalyst for my life's work, me believing that if I can get involved in this politics, that I can possibly save my mom's life. Mm-hmm. And that's what brought me to writing this book, talking about the issues of politics and policy, um, how the Democratic Party have really used race as a wedge, wedge issue to divide and conquer and, and really pointed um, at Republicans and said, hey, this is a racist party when nothing can be further from the truth. Right. Nothing can be further from the truth. The Repu- Republican Party is the party of freedom, opportunity, uh, opposed to slavery, uh, pro uh, pro civil rights. You know, this 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 is this is the party that we have. That's not the Democratic Party, even though they try to lie and take credit for it. That That's simply not true. Now, I understand racism. People who are racist can exist in both parties, and they certainly have. But at the end of the day, I'm a part of a pro-freedom, pro-Christian party who wishes to lift people up, not just give out welfare benefits without the opportunity for them doing for themselves, and a party who will continue to push those narratives of being a pro-business and pro-family. So that's the party that I'm a part of, and that's why I wrote Taken for Granted. Well, I'll tell you, it's a, a tremendous contribution. And, uh, you know, so many of our young people get caught up in the wrong things. And certainly the wrong things were everywhere around you. How in the world did you manage to avoid them? Dr. Carson, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I think about that on a very consistent basis because there's so many people that I know and I grew up with who took a different route when they had opportunity to to do something much better with their lives. The only thing that I can think of is God had his hand on me. He still has his hand on me. He's not letting go. And I am going to spread his message to the people across the across the world, no matter if they like it or not. And I know that there can be other people who can be saved by that message. If it was not for God, but for God, I would not be here. If it weren't for God, I would probably have taken a a totally different route. Um, If it weren't for God and the people who are around me, my grandmother, a very praying woman, pastor, my grandfather on my dad's side, minister. If it wasn't for those folks lifting me up, there's no way that I can be here. And I give great, great credit to this one particular individual. Um, His name is Dr. Bill Winston. He's a pastor out of Forest Park, Illinois. He's my spiritual father. He has a, a, a large ministry. And when I became 18, I started attending his church and my life took off in a way that I could have never imagined. It's not about the man. It's about the man with the message. And this man has tremendously blessed me. And I know for a fact, if it weren't for that message that I was hearing, and this was a guy, he's a conservative, a very conservative guy in terms of his messaging. He would say things like, look, you don't have to rely on the government. You shouldn't be relying on the government. God is going to take care of his people. He should be the one taking care uh, of his people. Don't don't have that mindset. Unleash yourself from that mentality. And oftentimes when you grow up in these very disenfranchised, disadvantaged communities, the thought process is, well, if I can get another government benefit, if I can just have another child where we can keep the money coming in, then we'll be okay. Versus mm-hmm. how can I uplift myself and do something different? That's why I give great credit to people like Newt Gingrich 
in 19. Actually, Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton for that welfare reform, whereas they said, look, if you want to get these benefits, you're going to either have to go to school or you're going to have to work. And I thought that was really positive pro-American legislation. And that's how it should be. And unfortunately, a subsequent administration came along. That's right. They sure did. And it was one of the things that disappointed me most as Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. I thought it would be a slam dunk coming up with programs that help get people out of poverty and uh, self-reliance. But the number of people who were against that up on Capitol Hill was astonishing. Yeah, It's like they want people to be dependent. They do. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> That's the go. That's how you that's how you maintain your voter base. If I'm going to be the yeah. party, if I'm going to be the party giving you the most benefits and I'm going to penalize you if you start doing just well enough that now that you're making this little bit of money, you're going to get cut off the system. What am I going to do as a person who who has this this who lives in a, a disadvantaged community? I'm going to try to stay as much as I possibly can on the system because if I get out there and I do this just a little too well, they're going to mm-hmm. take me completely off and I might get fired from that job the next month. I don't know. So the That's mentality of those individuals is, OK, well, we're going to keep voting for these people who are going to give me these benefits. And the people who are giving the benefits are going to put in policies in a place that if you just start to you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps, whether you got boots or not, then I'm going to take you off the system, especially if you don't have the education, you're going to be in fear of losing, Um, especially if you don't have any experience at all, you're going to be in fear of losing. So therefore, I'm going to keep supporting the people who's going to give me the the, the, I'm going to just say it, the handouts. That's what that's what I'm that's what I'm going to tell you It's the handouts versus the hand up, which is what people really and truly need. That is absolutely the truth. And, you know, that's what my mother believed. You know, she didn't have much in the way of, of education. But uh, she was very observant, very wise, and she said, I don't want to be dependent on the government, so I'm going to work as many jobs as necessary. She would leave at 5 in the morning, get back at midnight, going from job to job to job, cleaning people's houses. But at least she had control of her own life. And she pursued you all to to follow your educational path, even if, if I recall correctly, she couldn't read, but she pretended that she knew how to read. Exactly. Just so you, you can be on your A game. No, that's exactly right. And she got criticized so much from her friends. And I said, you know, you don't have to be doing all this. You know, the government will take care of you. And they also criticized her for making us stay in the house and read books. And they said, your boys are going to grow up and they're going to hate you. And I used to hear overhear them. And I said, mother, you know, they're right. But uh, we had to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and she had the last laugh because uh, one son became a brain surgeon and one became a rocket scientist. So, you know, she was vindicated, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She might have known still- Ronald Reagan's words. I'm, I'm from yeah. the government. I'm here to help. What's the words? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned Ronald Reagan because, you know, I grew up in Detroit, a very liberal city. And in Boston, a very liberal city, then went to college in New Haven, a very liberal city, then the medical school in Ann Arbor, a very liberal city, then came to Baltimore for my internship and residency, a very liberal city. So guess what? I was a very liberal left winger. And then I did something that liberals aren't supposed to do. I listened to a conservative. Mm. I listened to Ronald Reagan. 
And I said, this guy sounds just like my mother. Yeah. <laughs> the very same principles. But those are the principles that lead to success in our society. Something that we really have to start thinking about again. And we'll be right back with our tremendous guest, Jana Caldwell, in one moment. Stay with us. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back with Jana Caldwell. Uh, many of you know him in his many, many roles. And, uh, you know, we sympathize with him and his family uh, for the tragedy they experienced recently when his younger brother was murdered in Chicago. Just standing there in the street, completely innocent, killed because of the violence that is rampant in our society today. And it's something that we all have to give notice to because it affects all of our lives. Whether we happen to lose a close family member or friend is irrelevant. It still changes the way that we live our lives and our perceptions. So we really need to be concerned about this. But, Jenna, where did you get your motivation? That's, a, that's an excellent question, Dr. Carlson. And I got to give great credit to my grandfather who started me off very early. I'm going to work on, I'm going to work with him. I was going to work with him when I was about eight years old. And I mentioned he paid me $10 a day to hand the flashlight, hand tools. There was a lot of money then. Yeah, it really was. I would go <laughs> get a big box of Bubblicious. I don't know if even people know what that is. It was a huge package. I would go to the corner store and, and get that. But my grandfather, even during the summers, I remember I would be there working with him five days out the week during the summers and he would charge me room and board. Mm. And he would say, you know, you may not understand this now, but you'll have a greater understanding of it later. Room and board, you're going to have to pay. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Yes, he right. would take me uh, when he would go cash his checks. He would show the money that he earned. He would take me to the stores He'd go to Nordstrom or wherever, and he would show me how he would, you know, he'd go buy suits and shirts and all these different things. And he really taught me what it what it, it was meant, what it was like to be a man. He yeah. showed me the way, he provided the blueprint, and it was good old American traditional family values. values. So when I learned of that, I had a hunger. 
a desire, a great desire for work at a very, very early age. I wanted to work. I wanted to earn a legal income for myself. I wanted to help my family. And my grandfather really lit that flame in me. And I talk about it a lot in my book, Taking for Granted, the profound impact, especially when you're talking about for young men, men, real men, the profound pick impact that they'll have on young people. So if mm-hmm. I'm ever blessed to get married and have kids, then my son will work. You're not getting any allowances. You're going to earn it. And it's such a powerful message that I think so many people have kind of lost and it doesn't resonate in the same way that it used to. I mean, yeah. I felt a sense of pride that I worked for my grandfather's business. Absolutely. Some young person, some some young people these days, hey, you know, uh, go do this. I'm going to pay you. No, just give me the money. No, sir, you have to earn this. This doesn't come for free. and You need to know how this money is earned. And it's such a powerful lesson and one that I'm so thankful that I had. I'm so thankful and proud mm-hmm. to this day that I paid room and board to my grandfather. Absolutely. That was a great gift that he gave to you. He, it was an exceptional gift. Yeah. Well, you know, one, one of my sons who is extremely uh, successful was being interviewed and they said, how did you become so good with money? And he said, because my parents never gave me any. <laughs> I had to earn everything. I had to come up with all kinds of creative ways to earn money. But uh, it worked for him extremely well. Now, you know, there's so many young people these days who are told that they're victims, that they're going to be a product of their environment, and uh, that basically there's little hope for them. What one piece of advice would you give to young people today? Don't believe them. And, you know, I actually have my nephews, my, my sister, her two young boys. One is 10, one is 13, uh, here in Miami with me. I flew them out. They go back to the school uh, next week. But I flew them out this week to spend time with them. They had never flown by themselves. First time in Miami, Florida, which is where I am. And I've had the opportunity and continuously to teach them, listen, if people are telling you that you can't do X, Y, and Z, if people are telling you that you're going to fail, you don't believe them, call me. Tell me what they said. I'm going to encourage you because you need people around you that's going to encourage you daily, especially when you live in particular environments. That's why mentorship is one of the most important things you can do. If I'm taking on a new project, whether it be, you know, I'm, I wrote a book, I go get a mentor. If I'm about to take on a new role, I go get a mentor. If I'm about to take on a new con- consulting project, I get a mentor. I always get a mentor for every new project, new idea, because I want that knowledge of very successful people to transfer. I want to have that, that great understanding. And these folks will let you see that it is possible and they'll see you beyond whatever environment that you're in and how people have the negative perception of what you can and cannot do. This failure mentality is so powerful. You know, you think about fear and faith, faith, positive, fear, the opposite of faith, very negative, a very similar trajectory. When you think about the fear of uh, you can't be or you can't do that will take you in a very negative spiral and you won't do because you fear Um, being able to succeed because someone told you you couldn't do it. And if I would have relied on what people told me when I was growing up 
including some family members. I'm going to be very direct and honest. My grandmother, who raised me, when things went off a cliff and we were on cliff and we were on all these government assistant programs, eventually she changed. It wasn't the consistent grandmother that we knew. She told me I would never be successful. She said mm-hmm. I would never be successful. But that never be yeah. successful and having my grandfather pour into me and tell me how great I was and how I was going to do well in life changed the trajectory. So her saying I wasn't going to be successful became a partial catalyst to me wanting to be successful. Yes, That was how my mentality was and having a grandfather who planted the seed early. Now, does that mean somebody who's 20 or 25 or even 30 or older who've had a life of tragedy, who's never been successful? Does that mean because they grew up like that and that's been their tragic history and path that they can't be? Absolutely not. With God, you can change at any point in your life. With God, you can move forward and and be the greatest that anyone has ever seen. You know, I, I think back, and this is like really something I've been thinking about lately. I remember when I first got on national television, which was February 9th, 2015. I started going on networks, little known networks like One America News Network, RT America before they like kind of shut down. And I'm doing these these news segments and I'm excited about it. And people are like, wow, that's great. Then there became the naysayers. Well, you know, that's cool that you're doing that, but you're not on CNN and Fox, though. (laughs) Oh, really? Okay. Well, then I get on and CNN and Fox. Well, that's great. You're on CNN and Fox, but you're not getting paid. You're going on as a guest. Well, I get a I get a deal with Fox. Well, that's great that you're on Fox, but I haven't seen you on with Tucker Carlson. Okay, you're on these shows, but I mean, you're not hosting. So there's always going to be someone, no matter how great you are, what you're doing, that's going to have a negative point of view to share. They do it with Elon Musk. They do it with Donald Trump. They do it with Dr. Ben Carson. They'll do it with everyone. So at some point, you got to say to yourself, listen, I can't listen to the naysayers because that could be the death of me. That can literally be my greatest failure listening to people. I remember when I was in D.C., I left Chicago in 2012. Moved to D.C. I was working on the Romney campaign. Uh, couldn't find a job after he, he lost. I was working on Capitol Hill and I wanted to be a, a federal lobbyist. I'm applying for jobs all over because I was a state lobbyist in Illinois. And this guy who was this powerful lobbyist, federal lobbyist, he calls me one day and just to be evil. Honestly, it was just mean. He says, listen, no one gives a F about your state-based lobbying experience in Illinois. No one's going to hire you. You might as well go back to Chicago. And it hurt. It hurt to my core because I legitimately, legitimately wanted it so badly. I wanted to be this national political voice. But it ended up becoming fuel to me saying, listen, it doesn't matter what you say about me. It doesn't matter what you think about me. Gianno Caldwell is always going to win no matter what. No matter what the obstacle is, no matter how bad it is, Gianno Caldwell is going to win. And he's going to turn that tragedy into something very, very positive. So people have to change their mindset and get around, stop being around negative people. Even if these people are in your family, if these are your brothers and sisters, if these are your mom, if your mom, dad, whatever, if you got a goal, a dream, a vision, something is erupting in your heart, 
and you know they are negative people, don't tell them about it. Find <laughs> people who, who are very positive, who see good in you, who see good in your ability to do well, and you talk to them about it. But you keep your audience very limited. You keep people around who are going to encourage you and support you and love on you. But the people who are negative, don't tell them about that. Just keep that, keep that communication and interaction limited. And that's what's worked for me, Dr. Carson. Well, I tell you, you have said a mouthful here in the last uh, 40 minutes. And uh, I hope people are going to listen very, very carefully. And I hope people are going to read your book. You know, a couple of things that you emphasize that are so vital, and that is family and faith. Absolutely. And, you know, those are things that have really been decimated in the black community in, in recent years. And I don't think it's coincidental that as those things have been decimated, the communities have also been decimated. Absolutely. You're honestly right. I hope people will understand by looking at the lives of your life is particularly important because you grew up in the, in the worst kind of environment with every disadvantage and, and all kinds of evil around you. And you escaped which means that other people can do it too. They just have to focus on the right kinds of things. So I just want to thank you for the life that you've led, for the example that you've given. And uh, again, I'm so sorry for the tragedy, but you're using that tragedy in a way that hopefully can prevent that same tragedy from occurring in other people's family. So thank you once again for being with us today. And I'm going to tell you, Dr. Carlson, I have absolutely no choice. I have to. And fighting for justice for my brother Christian, if anyone knows uh, what happened at 114 South Vincent Street in Chicago on June 24th that morning, please do reach out to the local police. I have a number. If you don't feel comfortable talking to the police, you can reach out to me on social media, and I'm at Gianno Caldwell, G-I-A-N-N-O, Caldwell, C-A-L-D-W-E-L-L. Again, that's at Gianno Caldwell on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, G-I-A-N-N-O, Caldwell, C-A-L-D-W-E-L-L. If you know any information and you're willing to contact the police, please call 312-747-8271. Again, that's 312 312- Seven four seven eight two seven one. There's so many people out there who can be a force of good. Amen. And I want to encourage those who know that they have that seed planted in their heart to be that force. And if you're not saved, let Jesus Christ be your Lord and Savior. He'll He'll take you and forgive all of your sins, wipe it away like it hadn't happened, and you will be the greatest that you could ever be. I really appreciate that. And I'm so thankful for you taking out the time, your busy schedule to have this conversation today, Dr. Carson. All right. Well, we will keep you in our prayers. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you so much. And we'll be right back in one moment. Stay with us. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. back and uh, thanks to Gianna Caldwell for sharing that personal story with us. Uh, I've seen that kind of tragedy so often in my life and it just doesn't have to be happening. And you can read more about Gianna's book, life in his book, Taken for Granted, How Conservatism Can Win Back the Americans That Liberalism Failed. Or you can go to his website at Gianna Caldwell. Com. And now let me leave you with your common sense prescription. There are so many times when people feel sad and discouraged and they let negativity take over in their life. But I want you to remember that there are always young people around who are watching and they're affected in a negative way if you're going to be negative all the time. One of the things that I really appreciated about my mother is even though we lived in, in dire poverty and had a lot of issues, she was always positive. She was always talking about how it was going to be better, how God was going to help us. And he did, by the way. And even when I was a horrendous student, she was always saying, Benjamin, you're so smart. You can't be bringing home these kind of grades. I did bring them home anyway, but she was always so positive about everything. And I want you to think about the impact that you're having on the people around you. And tell your inner critic to take a break and start listening to your better angels about the things that you can do, not the things that you can't do, and how well you can do them. And try to give encouragement, particularly to the young people who are around you. It'll make a big difference. And I want everybody to make sure that you subscribe for free to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. Don't forget to rate us and review us. And if you're enjoying these programs, tell your family, tell your friends because we want to make common sense common once again in America. And we can do that with your help. Also, like very much hearing from you. Email me your questions. Ben at cornerstone.org. And on several other podcasts, we will answer some of the questions that you ask. But please keep the questions short and uh, include the word podcast in the subject line. Until next week, be well and treasure the cornerstones. Faith, liberty, community, and life. See you next week. <laughs>